Welcome back. One o'clock on 104.5 The Zone. Hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. Lucas Panzika, Alex Apple with you. Kevin Mumphrey on the other side of the glass. 615-737-1045. There's been so much to get into today. A huge college football weekend. Alabama are crowned national champs after week one. Uh, at least on, on this show they are. Uh, Brian Kelly wants to kill his players after a win. <laughs> Vanderbilt embarrassed by FCS ETSU at home to kick off the Clark Lee era. But let's pivot a little bit. It is week one of the 2021 NFL season. The Titans and Cardinals play at noon. It felt real, Alex, when Mike Vrabel speaking to the media today where, you know, he's asked about some stuff here. He was asked about Tom Brady and the funny video of him talking smack uh, with the Buccaneers during the joint practices, but he said, that's all behind it. We're preparing to win. We're officially no in that time mode. to talk about that. Right. Yeah. That, that time has passed. Just that quote, we're preparing to win. It, it kind of hits you. It's football. Season. He's probably a lot more worried about blocking JJ Wyatt, uh, JJ, 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 Wyatt. Watt. JJ Watt right now than he what is Tom Brady, uh, what said. Tom Brady put on his Twitter. Right. Uh, and he's probably relieved too, that the COVID list did not grow. If anything, it has shrank Jeff Swain, the tight end activated from the COVID list as was linebacker, Justin Marsh Lillard, though he was waived shortly thereafter. Chris Jones, the defensive back, who had a really good preseason. I here yeah. on this show on Blaine and Mickey, I mean Blaine was raving about the guy. Not only because he's wearing the two three. That helped. But uh yeah, that helped. But but he had really had a good preseason. But uh Chris Jones waved from the Titans roster. All right, six one five, seven three seven, one oh four five. Wanna talk to you about what Mike Vrabel said about rookie corner Caleb Farley today before practice. But first let's bring in Jay from Vermont, who has a question about Julio Jones. What's up, Jay? Yeah, guys. So, um, you know, I just remember when the Raiders brought in A.B., you know, to be a, a savior, and that didn't work out. He was actually a cancer. So the same thing going to happen with Julio there in Nashville? I mean, disruptive and upsets the, you know, the pitchy of everybody and, you know, not going to rely on Derek as much. What do you think? That voice sounds really familiar to me, um, <clears throat> Lucas, but I'll answer the question first. Well, I, I think that Antonio Brown's a little bit crazy. I think uh, Julio Jones is dealing uh, with a little bit more sanity, hopefully. Um, but it will be so interesting because, like, the potential of Julio Jones to be, if he's healthy, to be a top 10, maybe even top five wide receiver is there. But you also have A.J. Brown who's got to eat. That was really easy in the Falcons' offense where – they didn't really have a great running game the last couple of years and threw the ball all over the field. Not even, not to mention, you add in Derrick Henry, who commands way more than even just a good running back. Um, I mean, his role, to me, is still, and I think to a lot of Titans fans, he's still, like, mysterious. You haven't really seen him on the field, played nothing in the preseason. He hasn't really talked because you don't talk if you're hurt. Yeah, it's like what I said about Byron Young. He's the, the character you haven't unlocked yet, like just yeah. the shadow on the video game. But I don't worry about him being a you know a, a cancer or a problem in the clubhouse. Now I do wonder how much he wants the ball to be thrown to him. I mean, a lot of those alpha receivers, there's a certain you know command of a, a target level uh, that they bring with them. Yeah, I don't think they're anywhere close. And Jay, we appreciate the call. I don't think they're anywhere close as far as personalities. You know, one Julio Jones since he arrived in Nashville has been only described as a consummate pro, and and in Atlanta too. That. That wasn't a situation where he was a cancer in the locker room. That was a situation where he wanted out. And there's a great piece on The Athletic. I, I haven't read through the whole thing yet. Jeff Schultz wrote it about Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, talking about where it went wrong with Julio Jones uh, because that really soured. And I, I, I don't think Julio really felt prioritized. You know, it, 
but totally different situation to the Antonio Brown because that that the majority of the time was immaturity and and it came you know it came out when the Titans were down there the other week you know he's instigating some of the uh, you know quote unquote fights I don't know if you could really call them that the bust ups or whatever Antonio Brown is who he is AB is uh, you know. A bit of a wild card can be a little immature. A bit of a wild card. I mean, uh, he was a lot of a wild card in Oakley. <laughs> yeah, and it's and that was so. I love how that was just put all in the spotlight with that season. That's what made that season of Hard Knocks awesome. Yeah, was so, some of that, yeah. some of that, that whole narrative with Antonio Brown. But no, Julio Jones has been a consummate pro since he arrived here. And well, yeah, and not to change this. No, you're good. If you had something else to say, but the other mystery kind of is Caleb Farley, who we were going to get into talk about. You know, he played a little bit in the preseason, and that was great to see because just like Jeffrey Simmons, he was drafted with a total mystery of whether he was going to be able to help your team. Right off the bat, Mike Vrabel talked about it today, talked about Farley. We've got some audio. We'll play in just a second. But even if he's like your fourth cornerback right now or fifth, like that guy is playing a whole lot more uh, nowadays in the NFL than he was in years past. The Titans played dime the third most in the NFL last year. Uh, so that's usually four cornerbacks on the field. You know, if you had a great third safety, like last year, I know Amani Hooker was playing some. When you had Vaccaro, I think this year it's going to be the fourth quarterback, whether that's Breon Borders. You'd really like to have Caleb Farley be that role, and if he's going to carve out a role, that might be his first landing spot. Yeah, let's hear from Mike Vrabel about his rookie corner as we go from talking about a veteran wide receiver, Julio Jones, potentially a future Hall of Famer. Let's hear Mike Vrabel, what he said today about his rookie cornerback, his number one pick in the 2021 draft, Caleb Farley, and where he's at in his development and his readiness for week one as we're six days away from kickoff. Here's Mike Vrabel. Yep. See where he is and see if we can keep progressing. See if we can see if we can keep adding stuff on to what he's done. And, um, there hasn't been any setbacks. He's been out here. He's been doing you know, the reps that uh, the predetermined – you know, amount of work that we've asked him to do. Is it, more, is it more a case of not ready physically after coming off the NFI list or not ready from the standpoint of still learning the, the playbook and all? Just not ready. In all phases, just not ready. You know I mean? Again, he hasn't had as much practice as everybody else has. and um, There's been, you know, some really bright spots and quick learner and corrects things and but for some of these young guys, you have to be out there practicing and, and getting everything. I mean, he's focused and locked in, and he's doing everything that we ask him to do. It just, you know, we'll see where he's at after these practices, and, and hopeful that, that his reps could could increase from what they were, you know, here in here in Nashville. When you had- so you got to be patient. You're going to have to be patient with Caleb Farley. Uh, he's not ready. We talked about it after the draft. I remember one of the first things he said talking about cat coverage. You got this cat. I got that cat. And so we said, okay, week one, that opener against the Cardinals, assuming he's ready, you got this cat, I got that cat. Good luck. That's DeAndre Hopkins. Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Not, It's not going to be quite that. And Vrabel said today, Christian Fulton will be the starter opposite Jack Rabbit. And I think you've basically got a guy that's three or four weeks behind. Even if, even if he's just a, a healthy rookie coming in, right, and on the same playing field, when, when he started, he would be three to four weeks behind everyone else from a learning the playbook perspective from a you know finding some sort of synergy with the guys that you're playing on the back end with 
he's behind all of those guys. I mean, and a, a number of reps thing, as much as you kind of hear it cliche and we've got to get this guy some more reps or, you know, it's kind of like the coaching fallback to not answer a question. You just talk about reps and, you know, this guy's not ready. Uh, I mean, that's a huge part of playing in the secondary, especially when the Titans last year came into the season and what was most affected by not having an offseason? The defense, hard to, across the NFL. That sort of cohesion and synergy right now, if, if he's, A, not healthy, right, if he's at 80%, Elijah Molden's probably better than him. And if you don't have that cohesion, well, you saw how that went last year without it. I am sure the Titans know how important that is. So, I mean, does it worry you? I mean, it doesn't really worry me. It, I mean, I mean, I would expect that. Now, is six weeks from now, if he's not carved out a role, okay, we'll have a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's within the context of what your expectations were for Caleb Farley going into the season. Because think back to Jeffrey Simmons. That's where the comparisons came from. The Titans nabbed Jeffrey Simmons with the 18th overall pick in the Nashville draft a couple of years ago. A guy that probably would have been the top six, seven, whatever, number one right. interior defensive lineman taken if it's not for the ACL tear. And I think Titans fans had themse- had me- were mentally prepared to be without him for the entirety of his rookie season. Right. Maybe he'll get back in the last week of the regular season of the postseason. You know, the thinking was along those lines. And then, boom, I think it's week seven that I think he comes into the fold and, and it's against the Chargers. He sacks Phillip Rivers. And then uh, and then, I mean, obviously, he has a phenomenal rest of the season, a sack fumble in Baltimore in the divisional game. I mean, that that blew away expectations for Titans fans because they went in thinking, well, we'll be lucky to get him at the end, and they got him midway through. And it's changed expectations now for Farley. Yeah, it's flip-flopped because with Caleb Farley, you know, he he rebuked the idea of not being ready uh, because of his back injury in the name of Jesus. And so said, okay, we'll see you week one because that was all about training camp. Will you be ready for training camp? Will this limit you? Now rebuke that in the name of Jesus. All right, we'll see him week one. So I hope people don't start to panic because they're hearing Vrabel say he's not ready because this is a guy who hasn't played football in two that, years. That's what I was going to say. Just like Jamar Chase, you're hearing all about this top five pick for the Bengals who all of a sudden looks like he's not any good anymore. Two years ago, he was playing with Joe Burrow, looked like one of the best receivers you've ever seen in college. Same thing. I mean, taking that much time off is very difficult. I mean, it's, you know, it's not riding a bike, especially not when you're level jumping to a level of competition that is so much better. I would imagine if he didn't have any of the other issues, taking that year off still might have meant he was a slower progression than, say, Elijah Bolden, who PFF rated as the Titans' top-rated rookie in the preseason. Yeah, and I think he'll be the Titans' top-rated rookie for large stretches of the regular season, at least early on. But, you know, all the talk about Dylan Radins, uh, you know, people are being patient with him. I think some fans are frustrated that the guy who got in the second round doesn't seem anywhere close to being able to play, especially at the position that you thought you drafted him for at right tackle. Right now, he's playing in, on the interior side of that defensive line, but... Dylan Raiders played one game last year, and it was in the FCS. It was North Dakota State, so it's an even bigger leap for him. But Caleb Farley's going through the same thing. I know he was in the Power Five two years ago and had a phenomenal season, but, uh, yeah, man, two years is a long time. Two years with a back surgery or two in between between, there where you're still figuring out how you can really move again. I mean, a lot of people probably listen to the show have had a back surgery. Okay, think about not doing something for two years that you did before back surgery. Now you got to figure out how if you can do it again. Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how much run he does get against the Cardinals, what kind of situations they put him in, because that's an interesting receiver court to open up the season. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, we could talk about him. But A.J. Green's in the mix now there. Rondale Moore, the rookie they drafted Christian out of Kirk, Purdue. Yeah. Uh, Christian Kirk, I think a really underrated receiver in the league. 
I, I saw the other week Larry Fitzgerald, uh, still a free agent. He hasn't retired. Was kind of mulling. Coming oh, interesting! Back. Yeah. I thought he had retired. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think back he to the Cardinals uh, officially retired. Yeah. So, I, I, but I don't know where where that would stand. I'd be surprised to see Larry Fitzgerald in action for them. But so it's an interesting wide receiver core. Um, but we'll see, man. Uh, I mean, it, it'll be a great just, test for the Titans. You want to know how their pass rush and their secondary is? No doubt. Well, you got a very mobile quarterback. <laughs> you got an offense that loves to sling it. They love to play four wide receivers. You're going to play a lot of dime. It's going to be a great test. You're yeah. going to get to see exactly where the Titans stand. That's a great point. Uh, very unlike the Vols game against Bowling Green, where it's like, what? okay, what did we learn? You're like psyching yourself out. Like, I think we learned this about this, but it could have just been Bowling did, Green. Yeah. No, we're going to learn some stuff about the Titans on Sunday. You're going to learn a lot about the Titans and the Vols this weekend. Yes, so you no You hold doubt. your breath for five uh, more days, especially, you'll know a lot. Yeah, especially defensively, at least for the Titans, for the Vols. Maybe it's about the offense we'll learn a little more of against Pitt next weekend. All right, when we come back, Jordan Dejani of CBS Sports NFL writer covers all the bases, week one storylines heading into Sunday's kickoff. We'll talk some Titans and Cardinals, talk some Vols too. Jordan, a UT alum, so we'll hang out with Jordan Dejani when we come back. 615-737-1045 if you want to take part. This is Lucas Panzica and Alex Apple with you on 104.5 The Zone. Johnny of CBS Sports, he joins us now. Now, you go to Jordan for NFL content. I mean, he covers all the bases when it comes to the National Football League at Jordan DeJani on Twitter. But, Jordan, I know you were locked in on Saturday and on Sunday and tonight with the college football we've got going on. The question is, was it dual screen or triple screen action or maybe even quadruple screen action? Yo, what's going on, Lucas? Yeah, I had all the screens I possibly could at my disposal from computers to laptops to smart TVs. Found out very quickly that your watch ESPN account only lets you stream two or three streams at the same time. So we, we ran across that roadblock. Might have to sign up for another account, but, you know, we'll approach that as we move into week two of the college football season. No, it, it was a holiday, man. I had people over Thursday night for the Vols game, the Ohio State game. And then, of course, this whole weekend was dedicated to watching college football. I even went on CBS Sports Radio on I think it was Saturday night and I was barely paying attention to the hit because I had Georgia Clemson up and two other games on my screen but man it's it's so great to have football back and the NFL returns this week so I know we are all excited Jordan it's Alex Apple good to talk with you again hope you're doing well but I want to just start out with getting a baseline here for Titans Cardinals which we want to get into a little bit for you um what storylines stand out to you the most as far as things that you'll be looking to take away from this game, whether it's Cliff Kingsbury's success, Julio Jones' integration in the Titans' offense, whatever? What, what would you throw out there of things that are intriguing you heading into this matchup? Yeah, I'll give you two. The first has to do with the Titans. You know, this is the first time we're going to see this new-look team, including Julio Jones, on the field working together as a cohesive starting unit. So I'm excited to see all the starters on both sides of the ball take the field and play their real first game. Everyone's going to be excited for that. Now, that's obviously a basic storyline. If I want to get more intricate and more specific, I'm very interested to see how Tennessee's secondary holds up against this um, established wide receiving core. We obviously got DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green's there, Christian Kirk, the rookie Rondell Moore looks really good. I even love Andy Isabella. 
We know that Kyler Murray can toss the ball down the field. We know Cliff Kingsbury is an offensive-minded coach. So I'm, I'm interested to see how Tennessee's secondary can hold up there because if I had to identify one weak spot on this Titans team, to be honest with you, it really is the secondary. So I want to see how, how good guys like Norris Jenkins look, Christian Fulton. I hope he takes a big leap in year two, Breon Borders. doesn't sound like Caleb Farley is going to get much run at all. The rookie Elijah Molden. That could be the X factor, the Titans secondary, when it comes to what their ceiling could be in 2021. For me, Jordan, the X factor is on the other side of the ball. Uh, when it comes to Todd Downing and this Titans offense, Todd Downing obviously calling plays, was the tight ends coach under Arthur Smith last season, who was the offensive coordinator now in Atlanta. Uh, but you saw so much of the reaction when the Titans signed Julio Jones, that, or traded for Julio Jones, I should say, that you know how could he possibly mess this up, right, with all the weapons he has at his disposal. Uh, and the dude's driving a Ferrari. But... I, I don't know about you, Jordan. I'm much more likely to wreck a Ferrari than I am like a Toyota Camry. <laughs> so to me, that's the biggest question mark. That's my biggest X factor going into the season. Yeah, you know, that's a good one. But at the same time, like, we talked about this a lot in the offseason. And, you, you know, it, it's hard to mess up. I would agree. I would just encourage the offensive coordinator, Downing, to not overthink it, right? He has all these weapons at his disposal. He had a great teacher in Arthur Smith and someone who was calling plays and, and you know, implementing his system. We obviously saw it find success, especially with a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who reinvented himself. And he, and he also helped turn Derrick Henry into one of the best running backs or the best running back in the NFL. So he doesn't have to go crazy and try to make this system his own. But there are more specifics in this system that I am interested to see. And we're not going to find out necessarily all the answers in week one. But one is definitely Julio Jones. I mean, this is going to be a whole different role for him on a brand new team because he's only played with the Falcons during his esteemed career. You know, what is, what is it going to be like with him being the number two? How many targets is he going to get per game? What exactly is he going to look like compared to the star he was with the Falcons? So, yeah, the offensive of the ball, offensive side of the ball is definitely something that we're all going to be watching. Um, but, you know, I have faith in Downing. We'll see how it goes. And what do you make of the Cardinals' defense? I mean, they've got some names on it now. I mean, they've invested at linebacker with Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins and Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt and some other decent players on the defensive line. But how good is this unit supposed to be? I mean, and I'm asking you this so you can help us define what a successful game for the Titans' offense might look like, um, you know, and color that with, uh, you know, some information about what this Cardinals' defense is going to be over the course of this season. Yeah, so the Cardinals' defense looks pretty good on paper, but they did get a little bit older. I mean, the, the addition of J.J. Watt, that seems like it almost could be a boomer bust thing. He's obviously getting up there in years. Is he really going to make the impact that a lot of Cardinals fans are hoping he's going to? Um, the linebacking core is very interesting. I think Zayvon Collins is going to be a stud in this league, but it's interesting we said the same thing about Isaiah Simmons, someone who could wear a, a lot of different hats on defense, and the defensive coordinator there in Arizona wasn't exactly able to get the most out of him in his first season. So we'll see if he can kind of turn that around in year two. And, you know, a storyline that we haven't really talked about, I'm sure you guys have addressed it, but just in terms of the league in general, was the loss of quarterback Malcolm Butler, you know, due to some personal issues that he had over this offseason, and now he's on the reserve retired list. The Cardinals signed him to come in and be the starting quarterback on that team to kind of replace Patrick Peterson. And he was a guy who actually was coming off of one of his best seasons as a pro with the Tennessee Titans in 2020. So I think that's a pretty big loss as well. Buda Baker is one of the best safeties in the league. I absolutely love him. But the secondary might have some question marks. 
To all that to say, I think the defense is going to be okay. I don't necessarily think they're going to be an elite unit, and it doesn't help to be playing in the toughest division in the NFC West. But then again, when it comes to this week one matchup, the Tennessee Titans are expected to have one of the most explosive offenses uh, in, in the NFL. So I don't expect this to be a low-scoring affair. But the, and I don't know if this is accurate. Depth charts often are not. Um, but ESPN has Tay Gowan as the starting quarterback instead of Malcolm Butler. Um, along with Byron Murphy. Tay Gowan is their sixth-round pick from this year. I mean, is that a major weakness there? They have somebody else that I'm not privy to. I mentioned Marco Wilson from Florida earlier. I know he plays a little bit, but he's also played in the slot. Um, do, do you know their plans there in the secondary to uh, fill the Malcolm Butler-sized hole? I don't. I, I could go back and look. The only other quarterback I would think of could be Robert Alford. I, I would expect that he would be starting – with Byron Murphy, but Tay Gallon, man, the kid out of UCF, I thought he was a sleeper in this draft. I think he's had a pretty good camp. I'm sure he's going to get reps, but in terms of being the starter, I'm not sure yet. I'll have to go back and look at that. I was really looking forward to Malcolm Butler on the field, not just because of the matchup it would have given us football-wise, just the dynamics of that matchup. Former teammates, you know, Titans players loved Malcolm Butler, and I'm sure several of them have reached out to him, making sure everything's okay as he's on the reserve retired list. Hasn't officially retired, but uh, but we'll see what happens there. I was just looking forward to those dynamics with him going up against these receivers and see who he was going to be matched up against, whether it was A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. So it's a shame we won't get to see that. Uh, but, Jordan, pivoting a little bit more of a big-picture view, uh, curious what game you think we can learn the most from this weekend. Is it the Colts playing the Seahawks if we get to see Carson Wentz? I mean, is it the return of Dak Prescott as the Cowboys uh, go play at the defending Super Bowl champs to kick off the season. What are you most looking forward to as far as takeaways? Where you think you're going to find the most takeaways this weekend? Yeah, that's a tough question because it's hard to say that you can learn anything for sure in just week one of the NFL season. So much changes. But I think I can answer that question accurately by saying, how about Justin Herbert going on the road to play the Washington football team? Washington has what I expect to be the number one defense in the league last year. They were number two last year, but I really think that they're a lock to be number one this year. They shored up the linebacking core. They showed up the cornerback spot by getting William Jackson from the Cincinnati Bengals in free agency. Landon Collins is back healthy. This Washington defense is going to be no joke. Now, Justin Herbert, obviously, is this wonderkind who came off of the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. Uh, he's somebody who's going to be their franchise quarterback. But it's interesting because he's going to be playing in a road environment um, for the first time with NFL fans in the stands. There's going to be pressure on him, and he starts off the year against one of the toughest defenses in the NFL. So I'm interested to see how he handles that pressure because if he comes out and impresses and wins, then obviously that's just going to further quicken the hype train that everyone has on Justin Herbert. But if not, what if he flails? What if he only scores seven points against Washington? That's something that we're all going to be talking about. Again, it's week one. There's nothing that we can take away for sure. Teams, you know, flail towards the end of the season. Teams get better as the season goes on. But I have an eye on Justin Herbert in week one. Chiefs are six-point favorites against the Browns. That's a 325 matchup a lot of Titans fans can probably catch when you're heading home from a Titans win at Nissan Stadium, hopefully. Would you take the Browns to cover six against the Chiefs? I mean, a lot of people, you know, you, you look at everyone's making their Super Bowl predictions or their playoff predictions right now. You see a lot of Browns as sort of the non-obvious pick analysts are going with when they're trying to be a little bit interesting and cute. I, I mean, and they may legitimately believe that. I'm not saying they don't, but um, what do you make of that matchup? 
Yeah, so I think that the only time or the last time the Browns won in week one was something like 2004. Now, of oh course, God. the Browns are going to be – yeah, the Browns are going to be a lot better. Yeah, that's right, 2004. That's interesting. I saw that stat like today. But, yeah, so the Browns are a team that I anticipate being much more improved. And they, they honestly could be a Super Bowl contender. But at the same time, I don't think we see that evident in week one. And that's the way it kind of works here. Some, some new-look teams – um, it takes some time for them to get together and play their best ball. I'm not talking about the offensive side of the ball for the Browns. I'm talking about the defensive side of the ball. The clowning so experiment. Yeah, the, I'm not even addressing that one because I'm almost writing him off, but he could be an X factor for that team if he can get back to his form, um, especially as a 4-3 defensive end instead of a 3-4 pass rusher. But that's besides the point. they got a lot of young pieces on this defense that I think are going to be immediate impact guys. But when I say immediate impact, I mean in year one. Are we going to see – Jeremiah owusu koromoa make an impact in week one. Are we going to see Greg Newsom make an impact in week one? The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL in my mind. So, you know, if I'm talking about betting, I don't know if I'm going to lay six and a half. If you're picking, making me pick one side or another, I would. I'll probably throw them in a parlay, taking the money line. But I would anticipate the Chiefs, especially since the game is an arrowhead. I would, especially, I would expect the Chiefs uh, to win week one. That is an interesting one. Um, yeah, Browns always coming in with that preseason hype, as they always do, and that game's in Kansas City. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. One I'm looking at, Jordan, and I know that this is not something that I, I'm sure would move the needle on your end, but at least for the interest of the people in this city, is the Dumpster Fire Bowl. The other AFC South matchup <laughs> happening, Jags and Texans in Houston. I mean, think about, uh, and, and Texans just named Terod Taylor, their starting quarterback, shocking to no one. Think about the reaction if Urban Meyer loses to the Houston Texans in week one. I mean, at that point, it's like, oh, what's the over-under on him having, you know, wanting to spend time with family or having some sort of X-factor health issue that, that has him walking away from the And NFL. can I double up on Lucas's question? <laughs> Include in your answer how long you think Urban Meyer will be the head coach of the Jaguars. I mean, there's already evidence of some things not going swimmingly. It might be small potatoes in the long run, but what do you think? Yeah, so I do a lot of gambling writing for CBS, and as soon as the schedule was announced and those lines came out, you know, I did a my way too early top five like ATS against the spread picks, and I included the Jaguars in there. I, we are, we knew they got Trevor Lawrence. We didn't see the preseason woes coming for Urban Meyer, but I locked them in. I was like, take three points with Jacksonville. Uh, this should be a surefire win. Now I'm not so excited about that pick after the preseason. There's so many things that have happened off the field with Urban Meyer that have just been missteps in his very young NFL career. I'm not confident on this team. So now I'm thinking there's a legitimate possibility the Texans could win this game, especially since it's in Houston. You, you, what do you call it? The, the garbage fire bowl. It, it's going to be works. a game that people, yeah, it's going to be a game people are going to be, you know, at least checking on their phones. I doubt, I don't know how many people are actually going to be watching every down of this matchup, but <laughs> I'm starting to think there's a possibility the Houston Texans could actually win this game. It'd be, it might be one of those things like a car wreck. You just can't take your eyes off of it. Uh, yeah, man, if that wasn't a, another noon game, obviously the Titans are playing at noon. I think I actually would be locked into that one. Trevor Lawrence's debut. I just can't, as, as weird as it is to say, I can't wait to watch the Texans. I don't know, just everything just we've talked about. see how bad it's gotten. Yeah, I just cannot wait to see it. It's, I just, I'm not going to be able to take my eyes off of it, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. Like, uh, I think, you know, if we're being straight, I think that Jacksonville probably does get the win if I had to pick right now. But, you know, I'm just thinking down the road with Trevor Lawrence. Like, 
he's going to be a sure thing as a pro in my mind, but is he going to be hampered by this coaching staff, by, by Urban Meyer, by, you know, this franchise just as a whole? Will it take a change of scenery him, change of scenery for him four or five years down the line for us to see the true Trevor Lawrence? That's what I'm kind of nervous about right now. Let me ask you about uh, a couple of players individually. Who do you like for offensive and defensive player of the year from r- rookie offensive and defensive player of the year? Uh, you've already mel- mentioned Owusu Koromoa. A lot of people jumping on the Micah Parsons hype train uh, after watching Hard Knocks, maybe Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, one of the pass rushers. Uh, where do you go on those both sides of the ball there? Yeah, for defensive, I think that I'm going to lean towards Micah Parsons. You know, I, I think he was, a, he was the most sure thing when it came to a defensive player in this draft, he fell a little bit because of some off-field issues that allegedly happened years ago at Penn State. Um, you know, I spoke to him before the draft, and we talked a little bit about that, and he said he's kind of ready to move on. He's ready to put his best foot forward, and he's going to make teams regret that they passed on him in the draft, and I think he's going to do that with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, I think he's going to come in and just make an immediate impact, whether it's in pass coverage, covering tight ends, whether it's stuffing the run, whether it's getting to the quarterback when he's called upon to do so. I like um, I like Michael Parsons to probably win that defensive rookie of the year award. Now, offensive, this is pretty interesting. So the quarterbacks are obviously the favorites, but we did a project for CBS Sports earlier this week or last week where we were asked to give our picks. And instead of taking a quarterback, I went pretty off the grid, and I took Javante Williams at plus 2,200 wow. to win offensive rookie of the year. The, the running back out of UNC with the Denver Broncos. There's a couple reasons why. So they named Teddy Bridgewater their starting quarterback, which means they didn't go with the gunslinger, Drew Locke. Teddy Bridgewater runs a very specific offense when it comes to throwing the tight ends, throwing slant routes, throwing to his running backs, which is important. He's not somebody who necessarily – throws the ball down the field a lot. They call him Teddy Checkdown for a reason. So that's going to help Javante Williams. The other part of this is I think he's talented enough to overtake Melvin Gordon in this, in this backfield by midseason, and he's going to be getting the majority of the reps. So he's a dual-threat weapon when it comes to running the ball and also catching the ball. He, if the Broncos find success, and there's reasons to believe they will, they have one of the best defenses in the NFL, a great offensive line, a very underrated wide receiving core. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have to be – Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes for this team to grab a wild card spot. And that could put the spotlight on Javante Williams in this, uh, in this backfield, obviously. So I threw a little bit of money on him to win offensive rookie of the year. Jordan Johnny of CBS sports. Appreciate the time, my man on the way out. Cause we're up against it here. Uh, like we said, you were locked into the college football action all weekend. What are you overreacting to the most? If you could give it to us in like 30 seconds from all the college football that took place Saturday and Sunday. Well, I'm overreacting that I don't ever want to bet week one of the college football season ever again because I did not fare well. UNC let me down. Uh, LSU let me down in a big way. I was a little upset about that. Uh, We didn't get time to talk about the Tennessee Vols matchup, but I wanted them to put up more than 38 points. Um, I I didn't think Joe Milton had an incredible debut. I think this defense is going to be a really big problem, so it'll be interesting to see them face off against Pitt. I'm kind of overreacting to Tennessee already feeling let down for the 2021 season. Jordan DeJani of CBS Sports at Jordan DeJani on Twitter. You can hear him every Wednesday on Blaine and Mickey as well at 220. Jordan, thanks, my man. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. All right. Appreciate Jordan for hopping on. I always like talking to him. Yeah, high energy guy. I love Jordan, man. We overlapped a little bit uh, at the University of Tennessee doing great work over at CBS Sports covering the NFL.
All right, when we come back, we'll wrap it up going until 2 o'clock here on 104.5 The Zone. There is some college football action tonight. We'll talk about that. And some videos coming out from St. Thomas Sports Park. Titans are on the practice field. Julio and A.J. Brown both out there. That's right. Smile, Titans. I think fans should be happy with the guys that are out there right now. We'll tell you who else is out there along with those guys. When we come back, we'll refresh some of the Titans headlines that we started the show with. And we'll wrap things up. It's Lucas Panzeca and Alex Apple with you on Labor Day on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment, 104.5 The Zone. Lucas Panzeca, Alex Apple with you on this Labor Day weekend. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the long weekend and the short week. That's the best part about a long weekend. Short week. I know. It helps you get quicker to the... Yeah, okay. week one on Sunday, noon kick, Titans and Cardinals at Nissan Stadium. Uh, we'll be with you until 2 o'clock today. Will Bowling and Davey Shepard are on deck. They'll pick up where we leave off and go until 6 o'clock. But uh, the college football weekend is not over, Alex. I mean, it was... It was a lot over the weekend because I guess we haven't had that week one where there's just a multitude of non-conference matchups, right? We haven't had that in two years. right? So it was almost a little foreign when you're sitting there in week one. And you've got some here and there, Big Ten matchup, Penn State, Wisconsin, but Alabama's routing Miami, LSU getting embarrassed by UCLA, who I'm really looking forward to watching this season. Uh, And then a, a, a bit of a barn burner last night as Notre Dame survives Florida State on the road, but it's not over. Louisville and Ole Miss play tonight, and uh, one key character uh, in that saga will be missing from the sideline. Yeah, Lane Kiffin not going to uh, be on the sideline tonight because of coronavirus, whether he has it or, or was around somebody that had it. And right. Ole Miss is a fascinating team. I think, like you said, Vols fans are always going to keep a one eye towards Lane Kiffin and see how that team does. I think the offense should be great. Um, can the defense do anything successfully? If they can, they've got a real chance to make some noise in the SEC West. I think you've got Alabama and Texas A&M. And then LSU didn't look great this weekend. Auburn, Brian Harson's new head coach, who knows what they'll be. Then you had preseason. Ole Miss was picked fifth uh, just ahead of Mississippi State and Arkansas. But it's, I don't think it's out of the realm of expectation for Ole Miss to kind of jump into that upper echelon, especially as Ed Orgeron's Tigers look pretty shaky this weekend. Um, you know, that that's going to be an interesting division. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's entirely Alabama and the rest. And everybody else. Uh, but, you know, interesting for that game. I think some people thought of A&M as a potential challenger there. Just all depends on Haynes King. Had a decent day against Kent State as they blew him out. Jimbo Fisher wasn't exactly pleased after that matchup. But otherwise, people said LSU. And I, I just didn't really see it, you know. I, I didn't see much improvement from this defense uh, as far as personnel, I know they've got a couple All-Americans back there, but even the Derek Stingley Juniors of that roster were, were missing tackles. They've got a ton Saturday. of talent. It's entirely on Ed Orgeron to coach him up. There's no reason why they shouldn't be at least an 8-9 win team. Yeah. And probably 10. You know, is something a couple games break your way. Um, I, I mean, like I said earlier, we got into it a little bit. I, I think Ed Orgeron is maybe the coach by the end of the season. I give him 50-50 shot. Uh, I mean, I just, you can't have that fertile of recruiting ground and even that talented of a roster right now and not go. He needs to win more than seven games. Yeah. That's what I'll put the number. Uh, well, we, we said it kind of off the top. He's probably peaked in his time at LSU. So really, I'm sure there's some LSU fans out there that are just saying, yeah, Hey, 
Bite the bullet, man. We're probably not going to win another national championship. And with I this think guy. you can attract if you're a head coach. Where do you want to go other than LSU? Yeah. If you have the chance to succeed, uh, succeed Nick Saban at Alabama and just take over that roster like that, okay, maybe, maybe Ohio State, and then it's Clemson, LSU. I mean, I think even Clemson is in the same uh, realm of LSU as far as just the potential there is enormous. Really was fun to keep up with with all the SEC games this weekend. Missouri uh, with a ten point win over Jim McElwain. Central Michigan, Florida, uh, obviously routes FAU. Arkansas survives Rice. They got a bit of a scare uh, in that game. Sam Pittman afterwards said, "You know, we talked about wanting to face adversity and get through it. I don't think we wanted that much adversity. Yes, they uh, kind of had to put, put together a little bit of a late rally." And Mississippi State, man, what a rally to beat Louisiana Tech uh, to come back down twenty in the fourth quarter, score three touchdowns unanswered, and to come back and win that game. Never sleep on fun one. crazy Mike Leach. And yeah. I love the test coming up for the Vols this weekend. The team is going to play. We were just talking about it with Russell uh, last hour. Pitt is going to play man. They're going to be able to rush the passer. We're going to find out so much about Joe Milton, the whole ball club, the receivers, and their ability to separate. Is the defense for the Tennessee any good at all? We're going to know all those answers. And I think it's a perfect measure. Is it winnable? Yeah, it is. I mean, the line is like one and a half. Pitt's, yeah. Pitt's favored. It's in Knoxville, though, right? Yes, it's yeah, an it's early in Knoxville. Kick. So you know, Vegas probably looks at Pitt as maybe three or four points better than the Vols on a neutral field. Uh, but you know, if you're gonna win six or seven games for Josh Heupel and get to a bowl, you really probably need. That. Yeah, this certainly you look at as a swing game. Pittsburgh, by the way, fifty-one-seven, a win over UMass uh, last week. So we talked about Bowling Green possibly being the worst team in college football. Last season, they would have been the worst team in college football if it weren't for UMass. So yeah. Tennessee and Pitt both played probably the bottom two teams <laughs> in, in this sport that we love of college Couple football. Of bottom feeders for yeah, sure. Kenny, so not much you can learn from that game, obviously. Though they did put up a 50 spot, something Tennessee. Which Titans, uh, which the Vols did. Right. Uh, right. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback over there, 27 of 37, 272 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but tonight, Louisville Ole Miss, a 7 p.m. kick on ESPN. Another reason Tennessee fans, I think, get locked into Ole Miss, not just because of Lane Kiffin, but uh, but because we've been telling Tennessee fans like, or and Josh Heupel, be like Ole Miss last year. Right. You went five and five. You outscored everybody that you beat, and you know you lost games forty five to forty or whatever. Uh, but nobody walked away. You know that's a mediocre season. That's a five hundred season in year one of Lane Kiffin. Nobody's walking you away. Walked talking away about, excited. Yeah. Nobody's talking about how yeah. bad the defense is over there. Wouldn't that be a change for Knoxville? Right. And you hired Josh Heupel to do exactly to fix the very weakness you think you might have seen against Bowling Green, and that is to coach up the quarterback and to coach up the receivers and scheme up an offense that can make them successful. Whatever their limitations are, figure it out, and then craft something that makes them successful knowing those limitations. And Heupel, obviously, not the character that Lane Kiffin is. So he doesn't have that draw, and they don't have the Heisman contending quarterback that Ole Miss does in Matt Corral. I think he's going to have a really good season. And Louisville is kind of taking a step back in the Scott Satterfield era. At least they did last season after a decent start. Uh, but that could be an interesting one to see how Ole Miss sort of responds. I still see the Rebels, just too much firepower. I, I still see them Absolutely. kind of Absolutely. I, I think Louisville is a middle-tier yeah. ACC team. And how are you feeling about the Titans coming into this weekend? you feel good about them? I mean, you anxious, nervous, what would you say? Um, yeah, I'm with Jordan in that I cannot wait to watch this secondary against this wide receiver core. That's, to me, the most intriguing matchup as far as position group versus position group. You, you do want to look at the pass rush against Kyler Murray uh, with his escapability, but yeah, you know, I think the confidence level has to be high, and I, and I think that's because of what's happened in the last few days, news-wise, uh, and we'll kind of go over it again. We hit it off the top tight end. Jeff Swain activated from the COVID list. Ryan Tannehill, obviously, that was over the weekend. Running back Jeremy McNichols as well. They waived defensive back Chris Jones. They 
uh, signed Michael Pruitt, the tight end, late last week to the practice squad. But as of right now, two guys are on the COVID list. That's Ben Jones and Nate Davis, two starters on the offensive you, line. Got to get those guys back quick. Rabel talked about being confident that he would get them back this week. You, you got to have them. And my final thought is that I'm hopeful because I'm anticipating one of the best atmospheres in Nissan Stadium in quite some time. The Titans are popular here in town again. It's going to be a ton of fun. There's going to be a lot of new Nashvillians experiencing really good Titans football for the first time. And I'm hopeful that the product on the field lives up to that. Well, the product on the field over at St. Thomas Sports Park right now, certainly uh, a pleasant sight for Titans fans. Every receiver on this roster that is not on IR. We hadn't really mentioned that. Darrington Evans out for three weeks, as well as Marcus Johnson, the wide receiver. Both of them put on IR. But every receiver that is not on injured reserve on the field, Julio Jones, a full go in practice today, along with A.J. Brown and company. So uh, Ryan Tannehill also out there after coming off the COVID list. So, Nice, a nice sight for Titans fans, and we're six days away from kickoff. I know that's music to everybody's ears. Tennessee playing Pitt on Saturday, Titans and Cardinals on Sunday. We'll have coverage all week long on 104.5 The Zone. For now, Will Bowling and Davey Shepard will step into our chairs. But Alex Apple, it's been fun, man. I guess we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Football's back, baby. I'm going to soak it in. That's what I'd tell everybody to do. Enjoy these good times. For Alex Apple, our producer Kevin Mumphrey and Andrew Malone from earlier today, I'm Lucas Panzico. Just appreciate you making us even a small part of your Labor Day weekend. Enjoy the football tonight and enjoy the countdown all week long as we get closer to week one of the NFL season. Will Bowley, Davey Shepard coming up next on 104.5 The Zone.